Well, for the past uh, past several weeks, we've been in Revelation 21 and 22. Uh, that's about the new Jerusalem, the new heavens, the new earth. I love to be in that area of Scripture. This is dealing with the splendor and the majesty of God and all that we have to look forward to. To see Him face to face and then to experience what all He's prepared for us for eternity. So this is good for us as we are on this journey and this entire journey is seems to be going to this final destiny. It's pointing to where it's all going. There is actually a sense of direction in this and their absolute direction really is what it is. In this seemingly madness of this world that we live in, there is a destiny. And of course in uh, Corinthians I think it says we might have some momentary light affliction while we're here. That's what it's talking about. But there is an eternal weight of glory that is something that we are heading for. It's far beyond comparison. In Colossians 3, it tells us to keep seeking the things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. And it talks about us setting our minds on the heavenlies, not on the earth. Those kind of things. And that's why this text right here is so valuable because it should keep us focused for what is really the ultimate. And the ultimate truth is where we're headed. And of course we have talked about that eternal home uh, can you imagine the everywhere is the brilliant, blazing, radiant glory of God shining everywhere, even into the corners, all the way to the walls that are made of diamonds, miles and miles and miles and miles high, 1,500 mile square city of gold radiating brightness, the hues are brilliant, all the colors. And you can think of the foundation stones with the stones that are much better than even what the earth offers today. All the precious stones that we think of. We are reminded of that. I've been mentioning it every week because it's just staggering because I can't help but keep thinking on it. As I pray, that's where my prayers have been, right there, thanking the Lord for showing us what our new home is going to be like. And then last week we talked about the uh, river, the water uh, of life that comes from the throne of God. Can you imagine crystal clear and His brilliant glory shining upon that? And coming right down in the middle of that street that is transparent gold, and then on the both sides of that is this tree of life. I would imagine there's probably trees just going all the way through that whole area, that uh, beautiful park of the ages, the park of eternity. And it all sounds like a glorious place. And if you were to hear this for the first time and you weren't a Christian or you just became a Christian, you'd say, 
Are you kidding? Is this really real? Is this just some kind of poetry? This really can't be like this. I've never seen anything like this. Well, that's true. You haven't. Yes, it's true. Every Christian here believes it. It's true. Uh, it sounds like a fantasy. It sounds like a dream to people who don't know the truth. This is our future. This is bright. I, I know there's a lot of times where I talk on sin and repentance and judgment and the darkness of the things of uh, this world and that God will have to bring judgment and then we get into texts like this. And it kind of balances me off a little bit, doesn't it? Uh, it's not always about the wrath of God. Have you ever noticed, even when it's talking about heaven, then there will be a verse implanted in there talking about judgment. Because if you don't know Christ, you don't get this. There's a lot of people who don't know Christ and they say, I'm going to heaven. Say, oh, you're a Christian. You trust in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Oh, no, not at all. I have my own religion. And you go, they're not going to heaven with that thought. You know, praise the... I pray to God that they would be saved here. You know, I give them the truth and they would trust in Him. But it is so important to be looking for the return of Christ. Because of what we have seen in these two chapters, we turn back our eyes a little bit and we look to the return of Christ. Because that's what makes it possible to enter in to these things that are really true when He comes for us, it's going to get exciting. It already is exciting. But I'm telling you, this excitement we have here is not com comparable to that. When He comes, we are going to be changed in a lot of ways. We should be motivated, though, in our walks right now because of what is to come. Because of the truth that you now know, and you should probably knew that before you got here, but I'm just saying because of that truth, this is to remind us, get motivated. Live your Christian life now that represents what it's going to be like in the future. And that there would be people coming along with you because you were faithful to the Word of God, preaching it to them. i tell you what, he is coming. He's coming. It's true. It's all true. And that's where we're going to pick it up today in our text. So let's go to our text in Revelation 22, starting in verse 6 through 12. He said to me, These words are faithful and true, and the Lord, the God of the spirits of the prophets, sent His angel to show His bondservants the things which must soon take place. And behold, I am coming quickly. Blessed is He who heeds the words of this prophecy of this book. I, John, am the one who heard and saw these things. And when I heard and saw, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who showed me these things. But he said to me, do not do that. I'm a fellow servant of yours and of your brethren, the prophets, and of those who heed the words of this book. Worship God. And he said to me, do not seal up the words of this prophecy of this book, for the time 
is near. Let the one who does wrong still do wrong. And the one who is filthy still be filthy. And let the one who is righteous still practice righteousness. And the one who is holy still keep himself holy. Behold, I am coming quickly. And my reward is with me to render to every man according to what he has done. Let's pray. Father, great God in heaven, the home that awaits us, as we look at this text today, please give us understanding of this truth that you just gave us, and may it bring us to a higher level of worship, from one glory to another level of glory to another level of glory, as we look to see you. In Jesus' name, amen. Revelation 22, boy, we are getting close to the end of Revelation. I myself would like to stay here a little longer, but the Lord has other things for us too, doesn't He? Okay, it says, and He said to me, these words are faithful and true. He said to me, who's He? This is the angel. This is the angel that has been speaking to John and showing John this great revelation. And uh, this angel has, I think, blown John's mind as he has told him things, shown him things, these visions, these revelations, the conversations that they had that was heavenly, it was absolutely startling. It was unearthly, it was supernatural. This was absolutely glorious in what he has seen all the way through Revelation. And with all the warnings that have been there, it's truly been amazing. It's been transcendent coming from heaven and then showing what heaven is like. But it goes beyond that in our thoughts and our imaginations. It's not a fantasy though. It seems unbelievable. Very unbelievable. It seems like a dream what John has gotten in these visions. Is it real? He knows it's real. This is not a dream. This is real. It's true. Just as God is faithful and true. So what we are saying here is this. He said to me, now we've just seen the river of life. We've seen the tree of life. We've seen the city. All the heavenly glory. And he says this. This is true. That's a good time to be saying that. Because you're wondering, John's got to be going, this is, this is too much. This is amazing. And the angel says, the words are faithful and true. That means from Revelation 1.1 to Revelation 22, verse 6. All of this is true. Everything 
is true, John. I want you to take it at face value because this is coming from God. Does that make sense? He cannot lie, can He? This is not some kind of parable. Not some kind of analogy or just symbolical. This book is true. It's genuine. Every word of it. There is not any book or any kind of speech that anybody could give, no matter how much you trust them, that you can trust them for every word they say. But the book, the whole book, the Bible, you can trust every word of it. And John has now told everything that you've seen and that you're writing. It's all true. This is real. It's genuine. It is not an allegory, is it? Revelation 22.16 says, I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you these things for the churches. So you know what? In Revelation, we have a lot of witnesses. And right here, just in this chapter, you have this angel. Then you have Jesus in verse 16. I, Jesus, testify. And now John is a witness also. He's testifying. That is more than enough witnesses to bring truth in a court, isn't it? So he says, these words are faithful and true. God is faithful and true. We've seen that before in Revelation a few times, haven't we? If you turn back to Revelation 3.14 you will see faithful and true there. 3.14 says to the angel of the church in Laodicea, write, the Amen, the faithful and true witness. The beginning of the creation of God says this. Who is this? This is God. This is Christ. He's faithful. He is true. You can thank Everything on it. You're banking your eternity on all this. Revelation 19, verse 11. And I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse. And he who sat on it is called faithful and true. Faithful. It actually comes from the word of diakonos, which means just or righteous. He's right. You can count on Him because He is righteous. He is right. He is faithful. And true. Uh, chapter 21 of Revelation, verse 5. And He who sits on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Did you get that? Everything will be new. And he said, Right, for these words are faithful and true. There must be something to that phrase, faithful and true. It's Christ. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Right? I am the truth. You can believe me. That's what Jesus is saying there. I am the only one. 
So God is faithful and true. He is the source of all truth. Worship, as I've said earlier this morning, is based on truth. That's why it is supreme when we come to worship. It's the head of our thoughts. Christ is the head of the church. He is truth. He wants His Word to be proclaimed and that's what we are to do. So whether it be proclaimed by reading the Word, by studying the Word, by preaching the Word, by reading things that are out of the Word, by praying, reading the Psalms, all of that, it's all true. Our worship comes from that. And he says then, back to this verse 6, these words are faithful and true, and the Lord, the God of the spirits of the prophets. The Lord, the God of the spirits of the prophets. Just a moment on this. He is this source of prophecy. In the Old Testament and New Testament, a lot of times prophesy or prophecy is dealing with proclaiming truth. It isn't always speaking what is. It's speaking forth is what it is. It's not always speaking the future. Although a lot of times that is what God is doing too. He will speak truth. And He will call for repentance. And then He will tell if you do not repent, there is judgment coming. And He practiced that constantly throughout the history of Israel. We see that there would be a near judgment. There also would be a far judgment. So it can mean definitely predicting. That's not a really good word because when to predict, we hear of mankind making predictions. But that's only coming from man. And what is that worth? Well, really nothing. But God's predictions or His speaking and telling forth beforehand of what will happen is incredible because, you see, He's absolutely right in everything. He is 100% correct in every prophecy is made. Now, can you say that of anybody? Of anything that anybody does, nobody's really ever 100%. Come on now, right? A hundred percent, that's right, He is. He's the God, the Spirit of the prophets. God used prophets in the Old Testament to foretell. No book is like this. No book, really, if it's even kind of legitimate in its religion, and it's not legitimate, but I mean at least in its writing, there are things in there that can be right, Right? It's only, you know, principles and such. But if they attempt to make some kind of a prophecy, uh, what's the chances that they could be wrong? Probably very good. And in the Old Testament, here's how you tell a true prophet if they are wrong once, they need to be stoned. They, if, because they're false prophets. So they better be right every time. You know, the prophet is Jesus Christ. It's all fulfilled in here. We have more than enough in here to deal with that. 
it's all, if there's anything that somebody else has that's not in here, well, there is a condemnation on those groups of people. Because at the back of the book, and we'll get into that, not this week, next week or the week after, and it warns of those who claim to have more prophecy to add to Revelation 22. And that's serious. You see, we have everything we need. We don't need something else. People go here two and four and, and go to different places to get the newest prophecy that somebody has said. It's all here. It's all we need. Now, some people can use wisdom and say, this is possible what is happening, but you don't get prophecy out of newspapers or what's going on in the world today. Not even that. We don't know and people are telling when Christ is going to come back and those things and we know better than that. We have everything we need. All the news is really right here for eternal life and to be living by it. I'm thankful for that, but I will tell you what God does. He's working His plan out and it is miraculous and it's supernatural uh, because in His prophecies, you remember that He warned Israel that there would be the Assyrians to come and judge them if they didn't repent. They didn't repent, what happened? The Assyrians came and, ju and judged them. Scattered them everywhere uh, is what happened as a result of it. Uh, then there was the true tribe, two tribes left. That was Judah and Benjamin. And God warned them after that. After they'd seen the judgment on the ten tribes, the two tribes were left, and they disobeyed God. And so he said, I will send Babylon upon you. And guess what? Babylon came. And they were judged somewhere around 600 B.C. and they were taken. But he gave a prophecy also by Jeremiah that in 70 years they would be released from their captivity. And so they were. That is true. Every bit of, Historically, it's proven. It's there. It's in history. This is the best book on those kind of history, but it's in history books in the secular realm. So, you know, you, you think of Tyre and Sidon, cities that people know, they're historical cities, great cities. God said, I will bring my judgment upon them, and that He did, and He laid it bare. Just like He said, just like a rock is bare, the rock will be bare. And it was. Tyre and Sidon was judged severely by God. God said that, it happened. Nobody tells those kind of prophecies. All they can tell generals say, America is going to be judged by God. America is going to be judged by Katrina. Well, you know, God can use that, but we're warned about saying, well, that came from, that God meant for that to happen, and that's His judgment upon that state. Well, it really uh, it should happen to every place. So those people are a lot worse. You know, that's New Orleans. We know what they do down there. But what's the difference between them and San Francisco? Or New York? Or St. Louis? Kansas City? You know, Jeff City? You know, there's sinners everywhere. You know, the deal about the tower, you know, and the disciples are saying, oh, you know, they must have really done something bad and you're judging them. And then what did Jesus say? Uh, well, really, that's really not for them to know the deal, but that He says, you know, this, this could... Really, it could be anybody because of the depravity of man. But sometimes it is, I think it's safe to say, I think, yeah, that's a judgment from God because I think that's a warning. That, And I said Katrina, and I meant that because that was way back in, I think, was it was that 2006 when that happened? Or 
uh, somewhere around that area, that realm. And then right now we know the, the last hurricane that's come through and caused all sorts of damage, not only in New Orleans, but in uh, on the East Coast. And, you know, some people could, you know, be giving out prophecies on that and say, here's what it says in Revelation. Well, uh, God does those things, but I don't think we're in the tribulation. But, it, you know, that's the kind of things that, uh, that come. And, yeah, I think... There are warnings and judgments that come from God, and those certainly can be. Uh, but I think we have to be really careful about, uh, you know, making a prophecy on that and saying that, because I think in general, yeah, that's that's true. Uh, but specifically, you know, there are vague prophecies that are made. Religions make vague prophecies. Anybody can do that. There's going to be a great storm coming upon the East Coast. <laughs> yep, there have been, and there's going to be more. But we're talking here the spirits of the prophets, the prophets of old, and the writers of the New Testament. That is something that we can count on for sure. Did you know that God gave us three, at least 300 to over 300 prophecies of Jesus' first coming? That is exciting. It told exactly what city He's going to be coming from. This is going to be the one who is God with us. He's going to be born in Bethlehem. And... If you really want to get down to it in the book of Daniel, it even tells when he's going to be coming. In Daniel 9. Uh, he's going to be born of a virgin. Wow. Really? That's talking about a miraculous birth. That doesn't happen any other way. Isaiah tells us about that. Tells us that he's going to be born of a descendant of David. Not only coming from the line of Judah... But in that line of Judah, from, directly from David's line, it's getting very specific, this Messiah is. He's going to do miracles. He's going to cleanse the temple. He's going to be killed. Die. You know, not only is He going to die, He's going to be buried. And He's going to resurrect. And He's going to ascend the heavens. These are precise. They are accurate. Those are just a few. Tells about His death in great detail. How He would die on the cross. How He would live His life. 300 prophecies, they all are there. And it's no mistake of who it is. It's the Messiah. There's no reason to doubt God, is there? Because of that. He's never ever been wrong. And it's future prophecies that are written in the New Testament and in Revelation are never to be doubted. It will come to pass. Aren't we thankful for that? He will do exactly what He says He will do. We know that. He's a God who promises. He's a covenant God. He's never broken a promise. He never will. And then we go to Revelation 22. The spirits of the prophets sent His angel to show to His bondservants. That would be John. It would be 
you know, the apostles, of course, at this time, uh, they've all died except John. He's on the Isle of Patmos. Uh, he uh, will show the ones after this, the ones who proclaim God's truth, all the way on up through the time of where we are now and on past it. The bond servants, that's us, that's believers, that's people who know His truth. Uh, and he says, this angel showing you, John, and everybody else, the things which will soon take place. What are the things? The ones that we have seen all the way up to now. And a few more things, but really, basically, we've seen it. He's saying these things are... God is faithful. He's true. It's true. And He says, these are going to take place sometime. Not a lot later, but soon. Soon. And very soon. We will see the king. (laughs) Hallelujah, hallelujah. Right? So, um, I think that is something we know, we believe. He's coming, folks. Remember that. Remember that as you live your life. Hey, you know, it will be coming true before our very eyes when He comes back so quickly. So quick in His movement to hear. He's coming. It means suddenly, when He starts to come, He's suddenly there. He's urgently there. The church has been looking for Him ever since He ascended. The apostles were there looking saying, He's going to come back. Like that. That's what I would have wanted. And the angel says, Hey, go about your way, you know, he's he's there, what you've seen, you know, and now what you know, go and take it, you know. And they're gonna be filled with the Holy Spirit and they go and tell the news. That's what the church does. Well, he promises though that he will be back. It is never said when. So that means be ready, be alert, be watchful. He's coming soon. And so the church has always seen soon as it could be in my lifetime. Is that true? Yeah. Yeah. Were the things that needed to be done beforehand? No. He said, what about all this we've seen in this judgment? Not even that really had to happen. Uh, At least in their their thinking. Uh, You see, Christ comes back first. That's key. And that's who what we look for. What's the immediate response? Well, this is what the church has done for 2,000 years. And it's what we see in verse 7. These things must take place. And behold, here's Jesus speaking now, I am coming quickly. Blessed is he who heeds the words of the prophecy of this book. So, here is the response. And we know that it's about heeding the words of this prophecy. Heeding. It's about obedience. 
Behold, I'm coming quickly. Blessed is he who heeds the words. By the way, I'm coming quickly. I'm coming back. Verse 7. And then in verse 12, Behold, I am coming quickly. And we get another one of those there at the end of 22. Verse 20. He who testifies to these things says, Yes, I am coming quickly. Amen. Come Lord Jesus. I'm coming back. If He wasn't coming back, what are we doing here? Like I said, I've never met a Christian who didn't believe that Christ was coming back. Have you ever met a Christian who didn't believe in the second coming of Christ? I don't think so. It would not make sense to worship Him and then say, okay, this is it. Heaven is right here and for we live here forever like this. Or we go up there, He's not going to come back. No, he's got to come back. Because He said He would. Because of truth. Then we respond to that truth by obedience. You're blessed if you look for His coming. If you look for His coming, you're blessed. By the way, that sounds like Revelation 1 where it says, Blessed who reads, understands, heeds the words of this prophecy, right? What is the word heed? The word is tereo in the Greek. And uh, it's, it's about uh, heeding the words of the prophecy or guarding, holding fast to... Uh, it's the idea of Keeping it, keeping the words of the prophecy of the book. First of all, the whole Bible. Keeping the Bible. Keeping the truth. It's talking about doing it. It's talking about guarding the truth. It's talking specifically here about the prophecy of this book of Revelation also, and even more so. Guard the truth. These words of what you have just experienced, John, or to us, what is written, guard it. Because there will be people that will really make fun of Revelation. Oh, you're one of those. I've heard many Christians say, oh, I don't read that because it's uh, you can't no you just can't understand it. I can't understand it, so therefore you can't understand it, right? Uh, there are a lot of error in that, and that's taking the very words of Christ and saying it's there, it's all symbolic, it means nothing, just forget it. Now a Christian could actually say that. And I've heard it, or a lot of them say that's just too scary. It's too much. I can't stand to read that. It's uh, it, all of those symbols. They're they're just it's just too terrifying. Well, what a shame! The whole Bible should be terrifying. And if you would, uh, if you'd uh, remember in the Old Testament, especially in oh, let's say where are we at? We're in Second Samuel in our Bible study. Pretty terrifying in there, isn't it? But you see, God in His truth lays out everything there. 
And uh, it's for everybody. It's even for children. Everything is. Because it, it is truth. And there are things there that are hard, but it's something that everybody should know. Because God said it. And we don't try to defend God, do we? We just say, there it is. Maybe I don't understand the full depth of it, but I believe it. I believe it. That's what, that's what it, the idea is, guarding that truth. Don't let somebody distort that and try to correct them if, if they're saying that. That revelation is just... Uh, it's to, You know, one of my favorite people in all the Reformers is Martin Luther. And Martin Luther, uh, he was dealing with salvation and justification. And for many years he wrote books and all the preaching and everything he did. I, I, I thank the Lord for that man. Because I think he advanced the cause for what we believe today. And I love that man, but he's a man, and he's a man like all of us. And he had problems with this book of Revelation. And that's why I say, yeah, one could say that they don't believe in Revelation and still be a Christian. Was Martin Luther a Christian? Absolutely. But he did not believe it was really to be included in the canon. And there were other reformers. Even John Calvin rarely didn't write Revelation. Uh, he didn't. He had other things to deal with. And I, you know what? I agree with it. They they really had difficulty with something of so future and trying to understand it. Uh, but you know that's and a lot of the reformers were that way. They didn't even touch this book. It was it was too beyond them. But I don't even know how they would ever have time. The books they wrote, trying to make something that is so simple, but so difficult, the matter of justification and salvation. Because, see, they came from an era for the, from the Dark Ages. And it was so confusing what salvation was. It was all works. And it took them a lifetime to clarify that. So you know what? I give them an out on that. It's okay. It's okay. Look what else they did in the depth. I I can I didn't I don't need to go to Luther or Calvin for revelation uh, because I'm not going to get anything or some something that I'm I'm looking for. That's okay. We have plenty of writers. But even historically, there were there were writers. Haldane. It comes from a Reformed tradition definitely believed in this book. And most writers wouldn't believe in this book. Uh, it's just that they really didn't want to spend time in uh, evaluating it and trying to understand it. So that's my piece on that. And uh, so don't go around saying, well, well that Martin Luther is, you know, he's a, uh, he's a false prophet. <laughs> that's not, not true at all. He's not a false teacher. It's true and all of the way but uh, I just said that in saying we are to guard this though stand up for it just like you would any book of the Bible it's all important this is very important as we come to the end of it he keeps saying blessed are you happy is the one who reads and understands this and by most meanings it means to put it into your life now because look what you're investing in into the future.
These souls go on forever, don't they? That's what you invest in. Your soul and other souls. Well, in 1 Timothy 6, verse 20, that idea of guarding the truth. 1 Timothy 6.20 says, O Timothy, guard what has been entrusted to you, avoiding worldly and empty chatter and the opposing arguments of what is falsely called knowledge. And sometimes people argue over uh, the book of Revelation and interpretations. It's okay if they do it in a way that is edifying for both. They can disagree. It's okay. They're Christians and say, well, here's what I believe, and they'll give you a text on it. And the other one says, I believe this because of this. You know, that's good, and that's healthy. But when people get vain speculations of what it means, and, you know, hey, this newspaper said this, and, you know, so therefore it's this, and they get into arguments and that kind of then then it's like, shut it down, stop. That We don't get anywhere on that. But to edify each other, and, and I've been part of things like that where it's been really good, where I've gotten challenged and it made me delve deeper into God's Word and other texts. Um, and no pride on my matter, but whenever I've been able to show God's truth, and it's His truth, it's, it's not my truth, to say, well, but what about this text? If they have been fair, they say, hmm, okay, uh, I'll give you that. I don't know. I, I, they'll usually say, I don't know. I will check into that. Uh, but, you know, and that's fair too. And that's good. That's healthy. Guard the truth, though. Defend what you know is true. And by the way, we don't have to defend when a lion is unleashed, do we? He just The lion goes out there and let the lion do what he does. The Word of God speaks, doesn't it? So, at any rate, what does 2 Timothy 1, 13 and 14 say? Paul writes to Timothy again. 1, 13 and 14, Retain the standard of sound words sound doctrine, which you have heard from me in the faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. 14. Guard through the Holy Spirit who dwells in us, look at this, the treasure which has been entrusted to you. Every one of you, you believe in Christ, you have been given a treasure. You have a treasure trove. I mean, the treasure of treasures, the Word of God that goes on forever. You have it. You have it put into you. The Holy Spirit does that. I can't think of anything better, can you? These bodies will die and go on. The grass withers, the flowers fade away. But the Word of God goes on forever. And our souls go on forever. The treasure, you've got it. People think of gold and silver. Well, that's going to be there. The treasure that you have now is really the Word of God. And that's what you will take with you. You've always heard you can't take it with you. Yes, I can. I won't take this literal Bible, but I'll take the very Word of God with me because it'll be there forever and ever. Wow. So, what do we do in the light of this? 
Well, 2 Peter 3, verse 11 through 14 tells us. 2 Peter 11, 3, verse 11. says, Since all these things, the old earth, be destroyed in this way, and what sort of people ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness? What are you supposed to be since it's all going to burn up? Looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be destroyed by burning and the elements will melt with wrath, with intense heat, but according to His promise, we are looking for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Where you have read about that, haven't we? Therefore, beloved, since you look for these things, here it is, folks, be diligent to be found by Him in peace, spotless and blameless, and regard the patience of our Lord as salvation, just as also our beloved brother Paul, according to the wisdom given him, wrote to you. Oh, be diligent to be found in peace and spotless and blameless. Did you know that in Peter it also talks about that to the Lord a day is as a thousand years. That's, you know, one day is like a thousand years. What's he saying there? To him, he's not limited by time. Do you know a thousand years to him is quicker than what I can snap that? Matter of fact, break it down. Keep breaking it down. It's quicker than that. He's not bound by time at all. And you say, He's coming quickly. Why didn't He come in John's time? Has it been bothering you a little bit? You're going, okay, Dennis, how are you going to get out of this one? First of all, the definition of that word doesn't necessarily mean, hey, I'll be there in about ten minutes. I'll be there in two days. Well, a couple of weeks would have been pretty quick, wouldn't it? A couple of months would have been pretty quick. Couple of years. Okay, that's pretty quick. A couple of thousand years? <laughs> to the Lord, a day is a thousand years. Uh, it says that there's a lot of people out there saying, they're scorning believers and they're saying, oh, where is the promise of his coming, right? Y'all remember reading that, right? And we were in Second Peter there. And, Earlier in, where's he at? Huh? And they make fun of it, you know, and they just go on living their kind of lives. And uh, we are guaranteed. Of course, it's put forth by Peter here in Revelation that, yeah, God's going to burn it up, bring his new heavens and new earth, but it's because of his patience. It's because there are people, to get it down to brass tacks, there are people who are elected before the foundation of the world that haven't been saved yet. Oh, what would happen if He came before they were saved? Well, He'd save them then. 
Well, what happens if they're not born yet? Oh, okay, it has to keep going till at least they're born. Does that make sense? I will come quickly. I will come in a way that is very sudden. The moment I come, it will be a sudden movement. Boom, I'll be there. As soon as it starts, boom, I'm there. But it also means, as far as God is concerned, this is a quick time. It hasn't been very long at all. Now compare it to 4,000 years before Christ. That's a pretty long time. Still yet to the Lord, it's nothing. So am I saying He's going? He's got to come in our lifetime? It's 4,000, 2,000 years, that's six days, and there's one day left? I like that thought. <laughs> I really do. I really prefer that. And I still kind of believe it. But there's another part of me that says, you know, I could be wrong on that. It could be another 1,000, 2,000, 5,000 years. I don't believe that, that it's going to be that long. Because He says, be ready like it's going to be in your time. So I have to live like it's going to be any time. He could come before we leave out of these doors today. Or as soon as you walk out the door, <laughs> and there goes Frida. Hey, Frida. And we're just up there, you know, catching her too. And the thing is, Johnny's already been, you know, glorified before she was. The dead in Christ arise first, and then Frida is in all of her glory there, you know, and meet not only Johnny, but all the saints and it's really it's seeing Christ first. That's what it's about, isn't it? Yeah. And then we'll see each other there and saying, Hey, good to see you guys. I just saw you earlier this morning. I'm gonna go and uh, check some of these other ones out. <laughs> just an imagination there. I, I got away with that. That's 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 probably not good. Okay. But could it be? So it could be true. And I'm that's I'm that's what this is saying. Be ready. Okay? Could be any time. Uh, what's that called? Eminence. Imminence. I-M-M-E-N-E-N-C-E. The imminence of Christ's return. I believe in that. So therefore, I don't think we were too wrong there. Right to think that? Um, be eager. Anticipate. We're to have a, live every moment in the light of His coming. So you're going to see the majesty of Christ. Did you know that? You're going to see Christ face to face. You're going to see His glory. Revelation is a book of prophecy. And so he says, Blessed is he who heeds the words. Have you been heeding these words throughout all of our study of this? Did you know you're blessed? Are you happy about this? Amen. You're blessed because of the words of the prophecy of the, this book. That means Revelation is a book of prophecy. The word there means to foretell, like predicting, like he says it's, it's good as done as far as he's concerned. But in time, it will happen. And as far as he's concerned, this will be immediate. He's patient. He's got people to save yet. That's why he hasn't come back yet. So when people scorn us because of that sin, well, there are people that are going to be saved and go into heaven and to His glory. And so it's not time for that to happen yet. That's why I believe that. Let them scorn you all you want. It's just another opportunity to defend what is already there. That's true. Now, we took a long time on that, didn't we? 
Blessed, if you heed to this truth, and here we go, verse 8. I, John, am the one who heard and saw these things. What is a witness? What is a testimony? A witness is one who tells what he saw and what he heard. That's what he tells. You shouldn't tell them anything else other than here's what I saw, here's what I heard. Here's what I know. Here's what I know to be truth. I give you this. Here's my oath. Here's my testimony. Now, the angel has said this, and he talked about God being faithful, true, and now John says, I, John, am telling you that this is true. This is what I heard and what I saw. You can take it for what it's worth, but this is what I saw. This is what I heard. And it's based upon the truth. And when I heard and saw, I fell down to worship. Here we go. This is the whole idea. Through the vision and the voice, John gives his testimony to this truth. And what do you do when you have truth? There are two things. One's right and one's wrong. The wrong one is to, oh, well, that's nice, and go on. Ignore it. Deny it. Or to say, that is truth. And worship God. Out of truth comes worship. There's nothing else to do but deny it. And a believer can't deny it. John is just overwhelmed. The breath has been taken out of him. You ever heard of getting the, the, the breath knocked out of you? Have you ever had that happen? I saw a football game yesterday and a guy got the breath knocked out of him. Boom! He was hit. Quarterback. <laughs> Went down hit the ground. It was okay because he was on the other team. <laughs> M.U. got him. It's okay. Yeah, sorry. He came back and, and played the rest of the game later. Uh, but I think that really he got the breath knocked out of him. Man, I've had that happen. Woo! I mean, you just can't breathe. Well, I don't know if John felt that way, but... He's speechless in a way, and yet he's got the words here to worship God. I think he is so amazed that he's lost in awe and wonder. He can only praise God at this time. The angel then tells him to stop. Stop worshiping him. Hey, John, stop it. You look like you're worshiping me. He's at his feet. That's happened before, and in uh, we don't. I think it's Revelation 19:10, where John got quite the revelation that the buried supper of the Lamb is that kind of glorious to you? Oh man, John saw this and he fell at his feet to worship him. But he said to me, Do not do that. I'm a fellow servant of yours and your brethren who hold the testimony of Jesus. Worship God. That's almost word for word for what we have right here in 22.9. For the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. So he was lost in that. Don't worship anybody but God. Uh, hey, uh, don't be worshiping anybody but God. You know, the angel says, he said, do not do that. I'm a fellow servant of yours. i got to stop on that for a moment. 
I'm a fellow servant of your... This is the angel. And there have been angels who have just been amazing that one angel even threw Satan into the lake of fire or into the bottomless pit, if you remember that. That abyss, right? Yeah. Angels are incredible. And he says, I'm a fellow servant. Fellow servant. Just like we're fellow servants together here in, in all the body of Christ. This angel says, I'm a fellow servant. And all through eternity, we're going to be fellow servants with angels. We are right now. Actually, they're here to serve God by serving us. Hebrews 1 says that. Um, wow, really? Uh, did you know that there's been worship in the book of Revelation? And I don't have time to do it, but Revelation 5, just to start it off. Revelation 5, and then you have Revelation 7, Revelation 15, Revelation 19, Revelation 5. It says, Worthy are you to take the book and to break the seals, for you were slain and purchased for God with your blood men from every tribe. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to our God, and they will reign upon the earth. Then I looked, and then he saw thousands and thousands and myriads and myriads and living creatures and elders and worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And then every created thing and the earth and the sea and all over to Him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and dominion forever and ever. And we could go on and on in chapter 7. Same kind of thing. Chapter 15, chapter 19. And I was going to read those, but my time uh, is taking that away from me. Believe me, Revelation is really about worshiping God. What does Revelation mean? The Greek means, or, or think of this, apocalypsis. Apocalypse. What is that? It sounds like some movie you would watch that would be like the end times, the apocalyptic literature and such, right? You've heard of that. It just simply means to unveil. It means to uncover, to reveal the revelation of Jesus Christ. That's what it is. Revelation of judgments? Well, those were shown. Revelation of the heavenly New Jerusalem? Yeah, yeah, but really it's the revelation of Jesus Christ. The uncovering of Him. You see, the truth is, is when you know the truth and you, you see what John saw, you worship. And so he's doing that. And... We continue on in that nine. A fellow servant uh, and your brethren, the prophets, and of those who heed the words of the book, worship God. That means the whole church from there on out. And all the people in the past worship God. That's our commandment. What's the ultimate priority of man? To worship God. Or the confession says... To glorify God and enjoy Him forever and ever. What does that mean? That's what your life is about. It's about enjoying God because of who He is. Because of His glory. Glorify Him. Enjoy that. Yes, that is the idea. Uh, and then it says, 
and 10, and he said to me, Do not seal up the words of the prophecy of this book, for the time is near. There's our title, The Time is Near. Do not seal up the prophecy of this book. Well, that's interesting because back in the Old Testament, there's a book called Daniel, and Daniel is said to, he's told to seal up the words, the prophecy, the visions, everything that he's saying, seal it up, don't tell anybody. Are you kidding me? After all what I've seen, they're not going to understand it. Why? Because the first coming of Christ has to happen. They're not going to get that. They never did. Whenever He did come, they didn't get it. They thought He was their political king, right? And His apostles thought that. So how can they understand the things that we now understand? Because the visions were shut up. Daniel was not to be understood until Christ came and then you can understand even all the way to those end time future things. Daniel chapter 8 verse 26, it says that. Here in Revelation, it says the opposite. Don't you like that? Here in 26, the vision of the evenings and mornings which has been told is true. Just like in Revelation here in Daniel, it's true. I know it's overwhelming and incredible, Daniel, but it's true. For keep the vision secret. For it pertains to many days in the future. You're not going to get it. They didn't. Chapter, chapter, chapter 12, verse 9. The last chapter of Daniel 12, 8. It says, For as for me, I heard but could not understand. Daniel didn't get it. So I said, my Lord, what will be the outcome of these events? And he says, I'm not going to tell you. He said, go your way, Daniel, for these words are concealed and sealed up until the end time. You flip over to Revelation, and this is why we've been able to interpret Revelation. Daniel gave us so many prophecies and things of the time that was in the past into the future that a lot of things have been fulfilled a lot of things that are going to be fulfilled and we can get a lot of handle on it because of Daniel and but here it says John I want you to open this up I want you to go and tell everybody this book has been opened up here it is go tell them John unleash the truth that's the idea. Revelation 1.3 Blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of the prophecy and heed the things which are written in it for the time is near. It's a lot like what we've just been reading and it kind of repeats it here at the end uh, again. And uh, so we have the time is near. It's time to preach the words of this prophecy. We're not to hide it. We're not to cover it up. We are to reveal it. Uh, you tell them that there is judgment and wrath to come, just like in Pilgrim's Progress. Flee from the wrath to come. 
and then tell them about the good news of the glory, of the good news of the Gospel of God, and all the glory that is to come in the new heavens and the earth. If we obey and look for that coming and tell this truth of the Gospel, you know what it does? It results in worship. It's what we do. There are no secret meanings in the book of Revelation. It is all revealed. There are things that are hard to understand that we may not all get, or uh, I, I don't get at all, right? There's a lot of things to learn there. But there are different responses to this truth as you bring it forth. It says in verse 10, And he said to me, Do not seal up the words of the prophecy of this book, for the time is near. Here we go on 11. Let the one who does wrong still do wrong. And the one who is filthy still be filthy. What? And let the one who is righteous still practice righteousness. And the one who is holy still keep himself holy. What? And I know you're asking about that. And you probably say, I don't remember reading this. If you're, if you're unrighteous, stay unrighteous. Well, needless to say, I had to really kind of pick that apart this week. And I'm not so sure I picked it apart good enough. But I'll tell you what I tried to get from other people's thoughts on this. From Robertson Word Pictures, which I happen to be reading this morning because still I'm not settled on it, but I think, I think I have an idea on it here. He said this, It is when Christ has shut the door to all of those who are outside with hope. They don't have any hope. Evil and good are now fixed forever. There is no second chance. What he's saying is after all of this, when people have gone to their, you know, they have received all the revelation God is going to give, or we're at this time here where there's, where there's the new heavens and new earth and everything, or you're getting ready for the old heavens and old earth to be burned up, whatever. He says that the one who does wrong, they're going to still do wrong. That makes sense to me. If it's all said and done now, everything has been given to them, and there's no repentance, and now they're here. You know what? You live once here on earth. But actually, Christians only die once. But if you don't have repentance, if there's not faith in the truth, if you are not of God's, you will die twice, a spiritual death, and then you will be in hell forever, and you will continue to do wrong. There will be unrighteousness there forever. Your unrighteousness will just be multiplied. You ever known people that were Christ not Christians, but they were good people and you would say they're pretty righteous or right kind of people but they're not saved have you ever noticed as years go by they cave in to certain things more and more and now their language is horrible their kind of living is horrible they have a terrible attitude on life see it, it just gets worse unless Christ comes in and I think for eternity their evil just gets worse. Let them be. 
And if the time has already been there for you know in in, in uh, Hebrews it says that you die once and then comes the judgment. There's no second chance. It's all over. If that person has had the last time that God is going to come to them and offer salvation and they deny it, God knows when. Now, we don't know when, but there is a final time where He will just cut it off with them. We don't know when that God does. And they will continue to be wrong for eternity. They will continue to be filthy. You notice the flip side of this? You have wrong and filthy. And then the next two words go back. Let the one who is righteous or right versus the one who was wrong. Let that one who is righteous still practice righteousness. They will. A true believer will always be righteous. They will practice righteousness. That is their practice. The one who is holy. That's the opposite of filthy. Holy is pure. And so, there you have it. The ones who are in heaven are already... It's, it's, it's like it said... Uh, I think MacArthur said this, people will respond to the truth when it's proclaimed. There's two responses. And that response, eventually, it'll fix their eternal destiny. For the one who hears the truth continues to do wrong. He is fixed in that. For the one who is hearing acts righteously, he is fixed in righteousness. But if you're wrong and you're fixed in that, you will continue to be wrong. You will continue to be impure. So you'll be fixed in holiness. That's the intent of the statement there. It's when Christ has shut the door to those ones already. They're already outside they cannot do right. Hope that helps. Verse 12, and I'm going to cover this in hopefully 30 seconds. We've done it before several times in Revelation. Behold, I am coming quickly. Remember, he's been saying all that all the way through. The time is near. I'm coming quickly. My reward is with me. He's got rewards at the judgment seat of Christ, at the Bema seat. And it's to render to every man according to what he has done. And so some will get more rewards than others. It's because of what you've done here on earth. We look to that. We look forward to the judgment seat of Christ. And we want to serve Him diligently while we're here. We want to receive a full reward, right? Amen, saints? You want your full reward. And that motivates us, doesn't it? So let's sum it up. Jesus can come at any time. All that's been described in this tremendous book of Revelation that we've been studying could begin to unfold sometime very soon. In the light of that imminent reality, we are called to obedience. And that brings you to worship. And we're also called to proclamation of the Gospel good news, the glory of God. And we're called to service. Be ready. He is coming. Let's pray. Father, great God, thank You for Your Word and Your truth. Lord, help us to live this Christian life here to be witnesses 
with our mouths and with our lives. Help us by the Holy Spirit when we get those opportunities. We pray that we could bring people to Christ so that they would know the news and they would want to flee from the wrath to come to be able to be with us in glory. And Lord, you know, we, we know that you are in control of all of this. We are commanded to do these things. And it's a matter of obedience by your Holy Spirit who empowers us. Thank you for this day of worship. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.